And today is really, really neat because today is the day we finish our five-year journey through the Word of God. Isn't that cool? You know, the end of our five-year journey uh, finds us at the same place that we began at, you know, in the context of the Gospel of John, in the context of the larger, uh, you know, looking at the the Word of God as a whole. uh, That goal of the Gospel of John and the Word of God is simply this, is to reveal Jesus as the promised Christ, the promised Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him that you might have life in His name. You know, this journey began with Mark and I about five years ago. 2018, we started all of this, going through the major prophets. And uh, that was that was just, I don't know. You know, you, you think about that, and you're like, oh my goodness, we're going to get this finished. You know, five years, it, take, it takes a while to go through the Bible. But we, we walked through it, and I find it kind of appropriate that he's here today. So it's really awesome that you get to be here, and we get to finish our journey, right? As a matter of fact, I I don't think that it's right that you're sitting there. Why don't you come up here and share the pulpit with me today? We even have the Britney Spears microphone for you. All right, it should be... There you go. How's it going? Yeah. Pressure peeps. It's so good to see you guys. Yeah, Jeremy and I have talked about this for quite a while. Surprise you all that we get to finish our last sermon. It has to be. It has to be affected. Yeah, that would be me. Yeah. You're going in and out, dude. It's going in and out. Yes. What did I do wrong? No, seriously. It's my magnetic personality. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, it's so great to come here and and celebrate Christmas with you all. A little early, but it's just so good to see so many of you in your faces and, and be, it feels like home to be with all of you precious, precious people. And, you know, Barb and I are making our way and, and Katie and um, I've been doing, we've gotten involved in the church down there, Venture Christian Church. It's been a lot of fun to do that. Um, I'm doing some sub work as a senior Bible teacher at Houston Christian School. It's been a lot of fun. But I've noticed since I'm from Albuquerque, and I, t- I don't have an accent. You know, are you a Yankee? He's like, yes. So I've learned that I need to have just a little bit of Texas twang when I talk so people will understand me and trust me from what I say, you know? <laughs> but you don't want to sound real Texan like this because then they, oh, that's fake. And you're, so I have learned. That if you want to sound a little Texan, you have to just add a half a syllable to every word, just about every word. So even the single syllable words like faith, it's faith. Yeah? You know this? Don't get me started when they get the big ones. 
auditorium. You know, auditorium. Yeah. <laughs> but but it, it can't be a rule. You can't you can't be a rule when you talk to people because it's not always adding that extra syllable. You you can't because sometimes they use two syllables into one. Y'all instead of you all. Y'all, right? And it's not heaven. It's heaven. Someday we're going to get to heaven through the faith of Jesus. Yeah. So when you're out there teaching Bible to people, you got to sound a little Texan. you got to sound a little southern. And, you know, New Mexico is south. Of, of the border. Ish. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so it's such an honor to be up here with, with Jeremy and and, uh, and be out here to finish up the sermon with you. So, Jeremy, you want to preach? Yeah. Okay, let's do, let's, it. Do it. let's do it. All right, so today's sermon is called Back Where We Began. And very appropriate, right, that we have all of this going on. We're going to be looking at this. How many of you read the last two chapters of John this week, finished out the Gospel of John finished out the study in anticipation of all this? Well, we're going to look at three themes that, that hint at this back where we began parts of it. So that's what we're going to do is we're going to read some sections of Scripture and, and talk about where that led back to where we began. The first of these is actually in the appearances, ending with Thomas. Now, how many of you I think Thomas gets a bad rap. How many of you think that Thomas gets a bad rap? Because I really do. If you, if you guys watched the videos this week, one of the things I did explain is Thomas only wanted what all the other disciples got. When, he sh- when Jesus showed himself to the ten, if you read that very short period passage of Scripture, it says that Jesus showed them his hands and his side. He showed them his, his hands and side. And it's like, whenever we read Thomas, it's almost like we, we separate that section from what had just happened before. Think about Thomas's reaction. He wants to know that Jesus is real. He's just gone through the same week that everybody else has. Judas has betrayed all of the disciples. Think about how many of them were not trusting, not just of of. Thomas, but of one another. Who, what else is going to happen? Right? You guys all say that you did. We just had one that conspired to bring these soldiers here that nailed him to a cross. Now you say you've seen him. I just, I just want that same assurance that you have. So let's read that account together in John chapter 20. starting in verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were at the house again and Thomas was with them. And through the doors, and though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord 
and my God. And then Jesus told them, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There, in my opinion, when we look at the Gospel of John, there is a reason why Thomas's account is last. Right before the words that we hear that are the whole focus of the entire Gospel of John, and in my opinion, the entire Bible. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Thomas, the only one, by the way, Thomas, when he sees the hands, when he sees the side, his reaction is, my Lord and my God, when seeing Jesus. Nobody else in the entire Gospel of John, nobody has this reaction. Nobody talks about Jesus being God as overtly as Thomas does. Because this is what Jesus, through his miracles, has been trying to show. This is who I am. And if we go back to the beginning, it takes the entire account of the Gospel of John to build up to this proclamation that would come from Thomas's mouth, my Lord and my God. It's the only conclusion you can come to when you see the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it gives credence when we go back to the beginning of the Gospel of John and how Jesus is described. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born, not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16. From the fullness of his grace, we've all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. You see, when we look at Thomas's reaction, he's verifying what was written at the beginning. When John says, this is who Jesus is, his life, his death, his resurrection, that, that uh, you know, preamble statement, the first 18 verses of John are 
the recognition that this is the conclusion you should come to. And that's exactly what happens when Thomas sees the scars on Jesus for himself. My Lord and my God, his reaction should be our reaction. Now back to the beginning moment. Is Thomas' reaction to Jesus brings us back to the beginning of the Gospel of John, where Jesus proves to be God in the flesh. It's not where it ends, though. And then in our reading this, this week, we went to John 21, one of the most amazing passages of Scripture, if you look at it. So let's just read John 21, 1 through 10. Afterward... Jesus appeared, to him, appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Nothing. (laughs) Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. You know, John keeps going back to the beginning of the gospel and Jesus' ministry. And Jesus presents the bread and the fish, kind of reminding of the of the five thousand and the feeding of the four thousand, doesn't it? And he Peter himself This is a return to where Jesus called Peter to be one of his disciples. Do you remember that? And there was a time when there was no fish caught. And then there was a bunch of fish caught. Let's go back to Luke. In Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowded around him and listening to the word of God. He saw the water's edge He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him 
put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out in deep water and let the nets down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. So we see two instances. One in the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he calls the Peter and Andrew and James and John through a miracle of a large number of fish. But after they catch the first one, they leave everything to go be fishers of men. They, they leave it all. And then you have Peter. Jesus has risen from the dead. But he's only appearing at certain times. And the odd part is, most of the time when he appears, nobody recognizes him at first. Mary at the tomb. She's looking for the body of Jesus. Jesus says, Mary, oh, oh hey, how's it going? And then at, from the beach, they, they don't, no one asks, is, is it Jesus? I'm not sure if it's because of his resurrected body that he just looked a little different and, or they still couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that Jesus, who had, they had seen died, had now lived. And so it's just interesting to see that. But as soon as that large catch of fish come and it dawns on the disciples, it's the Lord. Peter jumps out of the boat. There's another time where Peter got out of the boat. Remember in the stream? In the, in the storm? You remember that? And Peter had to crawl back into the boat, didn't he? Again. Well, when they get the boat in there, Peter has to climb back in the boat to get the fish. I mean, this is all circular. It's just coming back, coming back, coming back. Why, why did Peter go fish? I mean, it's just something amazing happened, but I don't know if he thought because Jesus resurrected and that he was appearing and not appearing that maybe because he had failed the Lord on the night that he was betrayed, denying Jesus three times, that he felt like he was now dismissed from fishing men. And he went back to fishing fish. And he was, I'm sure for you thinking, I, I'm not fit to be in the ministry. But yet we see in John 21 that Jesus restores Peter. He goes back to fishing fish, then he goes back to being a fisher of men, and he's never the same after that. So, you know, I have a story like that in my life. I, I, have, a, I have a story that I went to Manhattan Christian College to be a pastor. And one year I quit. I'm like, I'm, I'm not, there's, I, there's no way I could be a pastor. No way. Didn't meet my wife there, which was a good thing. <laughs> but I, I, I thought, yeah, that... that that ship has sailed, as the case may be. 
But you know, God had other plans for me. Fifteen years later, I'm ordained on Christmas Day at Heights Christian Church as a pastor. What? God has his plans for us. So my question is, what is God turning you, coming back full circle for you? What is, what is something that you need to be doing that God has for you? That you know you're supposed to be doing, but you haven't done it yet. You need to do it. This is part of what, when the ending of John and the launching of the disciples into ministry. Remember, this episode on the beach is before the Great Commission, before Jesus meets with them in the Mount of Olives and ascends and gives us the Great Commission. So, but he is telling them, you, so I, we started you in, in the ministry of fishing for men. Keep it up, because it's all about making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them all that you commanded. So, there's, a, there's an idea of evangelism. There is an idea of disciple-making that we, not are, we are not excused from doing. We need to do that. What do you think, Jerem? I think it's great. We're called to do it. But we see a, another back-to-the-beginning reference in the middle of this passage, and that third reference is looking at the passage itself. It begins and ends in a very unusual way. So if we go back to the beginning of this passage uh, that we read this last week, John chapter 20. Starting in verse 3, it says, uh, they, they said, you know, they've taken the Lord. We don't know where he's at. So starting in verse 3, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went to, into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. It's such an interesting account. So here we are, and we're like, okay, they've... They've moved the Lord's body. And here's this little impromptu race between Peter and John. And John very humbly states, and the disciple who loved Jesus got there first. (laughs) You guys ever notice that? It's like, you know, we were running for the tomb. I won the race. I just want you to know that I won the race. Anybody who knows me. Who does that sound like? Yeah, anybody who knows me. I am the most competitive person you will ever meet. I am also the second most competitive person you will ever meet. I just want you guys to understand, I am, when I'm at youth group and they beat me at something, they rejoice. It is like, am I wrong, Skylar? <laughs> it's wonderful. It's also rare. Okay, so I am such a competitive person. I do that. But here's the thing. If we look at the end of the same thing, we went back to the beginning of this section. Let's go to the end of this section. Because after Jesus reinstates Peter, he tells Peter a little bit about what his future is going to be like. And it's an interesting reaction that he has. So 21 in verse 18. I tell you the truth, he's speaking to Peter. When you were younger, you dressed yourself. And when you were 
where you, and, and you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate what type of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. This, this little competition seems to be continuing to go on. We read about it in all four of the Gospels, but we, we see this bantering back and forth of trying to get these best positions for Jesus. And then Peter has revealed what's going to happen to him. You know that, that crucifixion that you kind of ran away from before? Well, you're going to fulfill it, and it's going to glorify me. And hearing about it and hearing what's going to happen to him, he turns to John, who he lost the race to, and says, what about that guy? What about him? If I want him to remain till I return, what's that to you? You follow me. You know, when I first came to Jesus Christ, and maybe you guys feel the same way, when I first came to Jesus Christ, I was so excited about Jesus what he's done for me. It didn't matter who you were, where you were, what standing you were in. I wanted to tell you about Jesus. And then as we grow in our faith in Christ, and we get older and we've continued to walk this faith, and we start asking these questions, well, God, why is their life so easy? Why is it when I tell a thousand people about Jesus, five people respond And this other person tells 10 people about Jesus and 8 people respond. And we start doing the same comparisons that we see that Peter and John right here at the resurrection of Christ, at the reinstatement of Peter, he starts asking that same question, what about John? Okay, I'm going to die for you. What about John? Is he going to die for you too? And, and what about Thomas? And what about this other person over here? What about them? Is their life going to be hard? Are they going to have a huge following? Are they going to do that? And Jesus like, that's the wrong question. And too many times, we worry about results that are really God's, not ours. We worry about what things are going to look like from the outside. Am I going to get more people? Am I going to build, if I, from a pastor's point of view, is this church going to be super huge so I can have an ego to myself? It has nothing to do with that. It's the wrong question. Jesus said, follow me. What is that to you? What type of success somebody else has? You follow me. What is that to you if they're not going to have as hard a time as you? You follow me. What's that to you if you lived a blessed life and they do not live a blessed life? You follow me. Whatever condition that you are in, when you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, your command is the same. You follow Christ. Otherwise, the sower and the reaper... They're in competition with one another. And that's not the way Jesus said it. Jesus said, I send you among those who have sown. You're reaping what you didn't work for. This is so the sower and the reaper will rejoice together. Because they're both doing what? They're following Jesus. 
Now, Mark and I had the, the same pulpit for 14 years. You know, and when we started 14 years ago, there was that little, people were telling us, no, you can't have two pastors. You can't do it. That You need to have a senior pastor. You need to have a, an associate pastor. And we were resistant to that because we weren't in competition with each other. We wanted to just serve God. And how many times did we tell you from the pulpit here, we do this because we're co-pastors because we want you to follow Jesus. John 21 tells us that we were on the right track. And can I tell you, Jeremy and I have preached a great number of sermons from the entire Bible in the last five years. And, you, and many of you have done this journey with us. And do we hold that up? All right, we, we did five. We read through the entire Bible. That's great. Big stinking deal. Follow Jesus. So what are we going to do? We're going to do it again. And that's what's so exciting about it. You know? Jeremy and I have never been in competition with one another. I mean, uh, there was always a, a running joke when I was like, well, how many people showed up? Well, it's because you preached. <laughs> people like you more. And we would la- laugh about it and stuff. But it was, it's never been about competition because we both have wanted to follow Jesus. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really what it comes down to. And, you know, after these five years... You guys are ready. The, the reason why we're going to be going back through the Bible again is because you guys are ready to take somebody with you. This isn't about you just going through so we can go through the Bible again. This is so you can disciple somebody else. We're called to make disciples. This all moves us to that area that, that Mark had mentioned in the second point, that all these roads lead to us, and that great commission where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. This is what we're going to be doing these next five years. And it's not a competition. I want to see people baptizing up there. And I don't care if I'm the one baptizing them or you're the one baptizing them. You know why? Because I want to see people come to Jesus Christ, to come to the realization of what this says, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that they may have life through Him. And if you're baptizing them, praise God. And if I'm baptizing them, praise God. It's not a competition. There's a lost and dying world out there. And some of you might have a gift where you're going to reach lots and lots of people this next year. Others of you are going to plant seed after seed after seed after seed after seed. And maybe nobody shows up. But we rejoice because we have the opportunity to make disciples together. And it's not a competition. And we need to make sure that we keep that mindset. Because I think the next five years as we go through the Word of God together... Oh, what an incredible time we're going to have. I'm already seeing some of that with you guys. Some of you have already taken up that mantle of of going out and starting to make disciples of other people, but that's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to the beginning, back to Genesis. That's where we're going to start at. You guys are coming with, and my prayer is you're taking somebody else with you. How cool is that, right? Whoever will listen, and if it's 20 people, awesome. And if it's five people, awesome. And if it's one person, awesome. And if nobody listens but you're being faithful, awesome. 
oftentimes people will say, well, how come, we don't, how come you, don't, you don't share your faith more? With people? Well, I don't know the Bible well enough. Now you cannot say that. Now you've gone through the whole Bible. So you step out in faith, you open your mouth, and let the Holy Spirit do his work through you into draw, drawing people to him. And then in the next five years, as you're bringing someone else along in the reading of Scripture, you can disciple them. You can be with them in their good times and their bad times, speaking truth into their life because you love them and you care for them. That's the biblical model. That's what we see all over in the New Testament. People adopting another person, bringing them along in the scriptures and in the daily walk. So there's evangelism and there's discipleship. You cannot separate the two. We're going to do them both together, yeah. I think it's awesome. You know what? It's hard to believe. This completes our five-year study of going through the Word of God. That's awesome. Don't you guys think? I want to tell you something. We have preached over 250 sermons on every verse in the Bible. You know more than you think you do. Stepping out in faith is what we're called to do next. That's what Jesus did. You've read it. You know it. What do you do? Send them out by 12. Do you think they felt like they were ready at that time? I don't think so. You think you're ready? You're not, but you are because he's ready to grow you and you're only going to grow when you step into it. And so in January, we go back to the beginning. We do it again. But these things are written so that we may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we might have life in his name. Let's go out and make some disciples. Does that sound good? We're going to pray together, and we're going to have a party, man. We're going to go eat cookies and get a sugar high. Someone say cookies? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to say hi to all of our old friends who are here, new friends we hope to make. Start our year off right, focused on our Savior. Thank you guys for being a part of this journey for the last five years. I can't wait for the next five. Would you stand with us together? Father God, we come before you. We thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have helped us get through this just simple endeavor that's taken us five years to do. But Lord, this was time well spent because this is in your word. We grew in the knowledge and truth that is found in the scripture. And we thank you for Jesus, who is the word of God. We thank you, Lord, that you will... Help us these next five years to continue to reach out and share the truth and the good news of your gospel. That you did love us enough to come down here on earth to die. To be the supreme and only sacrifice we would need to be able to join with you for eternity. Lord, and you rose again because you are God and nothing can kill you, Lord. You are eternal. We are grateful for that. Lord, as we celebrate your birth this season, help us to have our eyes open and go about the business of the Great Commission.
So thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you do. We are just honored to be associated with you because you are the one who gets all the glory and we're happy for that. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.